Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. All right. Well, hey. Who said that? (laughs) I'm really excited to be able to uh, share the word with you today. Um, I'm really enjoying the presence of God. I feel it very strong today. Has anybody else been feeling the presence of the Lord here? This is what, what we do. This is who we are. We, we pursue the presence of God and we, we wanna equip the saints for the work of the ministry and send them out to transform culture all around them. That's just who we are. And so I just, I'm so appreciative this morning. Sometimes when we're worshiping together, I have to remind myself or I like to remind myself, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church like this, to be part of a family with people like you who wanna run after God who are hungry for the presence of God. It's a really special thing. And um, we're just honored to be here with you. Um, today, we're gonna be starting a new series. It's the Foundations of the Jesus Life. Um, and today, I wanna focus in on returning to the word of God. So when we talk about foundations, my first thought is a basement, right? And what do you go to the basement in your home for? Well, most of you, you have your forget about it room where you, where you throw stuff downstairs and then when you need it, you go down and you get it. So we go to the foundations when we need to remember or to access something that we need, when we need to remember our childhood. Now, some, some of the kids here, it just pains me that you will not know what I'm talking about. So check back in in a minute, but for everybody else who will understand, how many of you have those uh, photo albums with all the pictures and the VHS tapes in your basement? A VHS tape is a, a little plastic box thing that you just put in to play movies on, for those of you who are too young to know. Um, so you go to the basement to remember, and then also if you were like me, as I've told you before, as a child, my dream was to be a meteorologist. I had books of, I'm, I'm very excited to be a pastor, don't get me wrong, but um, I had books and books of tornadoes and storms and lightning, and so whenever a storm came, I would sit in my room and I would pray, Lord, let there be a tornado warning. <laughs> and then I'd prep my basement I had this big old metal desk and I would I'd put the blankets in the drawer to like, you know, just in case the glass flies everywhere. My most treasured possessions under there. And I would just hide just so happy under the desk waiting for the storm to come. I was always a little disappointed when it didn't. Well, you know, you grow up and then you realize, man, that'd be inconvenient. But we return to the foundations a lot of times when we're in distress right? When we're afraid, when we don't understand, when questions kind of come up and we don't see necessarily as clear, we return to our foundations. And we also return to our foundations once we realize that we are forgetting them. There's a move right now in culture. There's a a push towards wanting to forget pieces of our history that make us who we are. Now, In the Old Testament, part of the power of the Jewish culture was their memory, right? 
They would have the Passover and because of what the Lord had done in Egypt and what he had done in the promised land, it reminds them who their God is. And that is why there's such a weight and a power in your testimony. It's because your testimony reminds you, God has done this before. I have seen this monument. I have seen the Lord move in this way. So I have an increased faith in my future that the Lord will do it again and in greater measure, right? Without a testimony, we're waiting for a breakthrough that we haven't seen before. But when we have the history of God to look back at, we recognize the Lord is gonna do this again, but in a bigger and more incredible way because my faith has risen because I've seen him do it before. So today I want us to return, we're, we're talking about the foundations of the Jesus life. And I'm not gonna try to, I don't wanna offend you that much. But I wanna, but I wanna talk about like, you know, in, in our charismatic culture, we are super experience-based, right? We come into the presence of God and we press in and, we, and worship is a part of the core of who we are. We flow in the spirit. If you're, if, if you're new to the charismatic worship experience, it can be a little frightening at first, right? No, you're all just used to it? Okay, well, let me rewind you to my first experience with this, okay? So when I was growing up, I grew up in the Assembly of God, and man, there's a lot of stuff that the Assembly of God is amazing at. One of those is discipleship. Man, I took that, that membership class, and I knew those 16 statements of faith with all the scriptures and all of that. But when it came to like worshiping in the sanctuary, the worship was heartfelt, but the expression was a little bit different, right? So we would all be seated. Does anybody remember this? And when worship felt really anointed and really good, one person would stand up and then the next person would stand up and then before you know it, the whole room's standing up, right? So typically this would happen during shout to the Lord. Um, you know, tower of refuge and strength. And then when it says, let every breath, someone goes, let every breath. And then everybody starts to stand up. All that I am never cease to worship you. Shout to, okay, yeah. And then everyone would, at that point, everyone's like, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. But here's the thing. When we would worship that way, that was the style. So some of the stuff we do here, like, it, it's kind of frightening at first, right? I mean, I'm the chief offender. Have you guys ever seen the, um, those car wash blow up things? They go like this. I can't help it. Sometimes that's just what happens. But back then, I wasn't that, I wasn't like, you know, the, the expression was a little bit more defined. But when I came into a charismatic church, one that had like evangelical form of worship, I, I was playing the piano. And I, I think I may have told you this before, but if you haven't heard it, you're in for a treat. Um, the intercessors came out. Do I have any intercessors here today? Yeah, yeah, I know, they're always peppered in here, ready, praying, breaking through, pray for me. Um, these intercessors, they came up with Lord of the Rings swords. They were huge. I don't mean like pretend ones, I mean like gold-plated, like very long swords. And they came out during like a river song and they were just whipping their swords around over their heads like this. And I remember sitting on the piano and looking over at this intercessor and she looks up at me and she goes, 
and she growled, she growled at me. She roared at me. And she points her sword and goes like this at me. And I thought, these people are insane. This is not how church is done. This is emotionless sensationalism and I'm not here for it. You know, then fast forward to today. But I was exposed to a different kind of Christianity and, and, and I, w- I love our culture of worship. But one of the things I think that the Lord is pressing, pressing us into right now is to return also, not just to the presence of God where it's experienced, but that true marrying of the spirit and the word and, and, and focusing in on the foundations of the word of God in our lives. Because if we have amazing experiences in service and we hear incredible words, but we are not in the word of God every day of our life, do we have the spiritual disciplines necessary to sustain the kind of walk that the Lord is inviting us into? Spiritual disciplines, they're not super, they don't sound exciting. They're not mic drop. They are day in, day out. I'm reading through the Bible. I'm in Leviticus. That is really hard to read. Sorry, just being honest. But returning to the foundations of the word and not just being focused on experience or what we're receiving and maybe our primary like pull of revelation from the Lord is when we are in the word of God, not from the latest theology book that we bought. I love those books. I try to read a lot. I love to read. But the foundation of the Jesus life is not the latest revelation. It is the unchanging word of God. And anytime there starts to be a gap where someone feels like the Jesus that they are talking to isn't reflected in the word of God, Houston, we have a problem. But I wanna go into the foundations of the Jesus life and talk about returning to the word. So if you have your Bible, I hope you do. If you have it on your app, I like those too. Go to Genesis chapter one, one through two. I've got a lot of scripture to download and you've got me for three weeks, guys. So it's gonna be a series of foundations. So I'm really excited. Genesis one, one through two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and desolate emptiness and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now we've read that probably, what, a couple hundred thousand times in your Christian walk, but I, I want you to experience it fresh and remember that everything exists through and because of the word of God. From sunlight and starlight, from mountains to oceans, he designed, he imagined all of those but the birthing point of life as we know it, when that idea in the mind of God broke into reality, it occurred when he spoke. Everything we see, everything you experience in this room this morning is a word God spoke at creation still resonating in the universe. I know. Now, hang on with me. It says in the word that the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
and the man became a living person. Now, you see, everything else in creation, including the mud that we were formed out of, came into being when God spoke. But for humanity, we became a living person, not when he spoke, but when he breathed into us. Do you catch that? Everything else in the word, everything else that happened at creation was a word that God spoke. Even our body, the mud and the ground that he formed to make our skeleton and all of the organs and all of us. But when we were a living person, when we came into being, it wasn't when he spoke, it was when he breathed into us. And it sets us apart from the rest of creation because everything else in this world is a word that God spoke, but we are both. We are both word and spirit. We are word and breath, right? So we were created in his image, in God's image. So you guys know the story. Adam and Eve, they're living in paradise, walking with God in the cool of the day. Has anybody walked in the cool of the day recently? You have to get up at like six to get that. I did it this morning, it was amazing. I was just trying to imagine what it was like to talk with God in that part of the day. You know, walking side by side. So they're ruling, subduing, and they're enjoying an existence created by God. They could eat from any tree they wanted, save one. And the serpent lied and said, if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would become like God and be able to discern good and evil by themselves. But the cruel irony of Adam and Eve's temptation is that they were already like God. You see, the enemy comes and he, said, he made an implication that they weren't already like him. But you see, we're a reflection of God, of his trinity. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're a reflection of that. We are spirit, soul, and body, right? There's three parts of us too. And it's the age-old lie that the tree of knowledge of good and evil that we can decide those things for ourselves as if they exist outside of God himself instead of the truth that all good is from God the darkness and evil is a result of the separation from the nature of God, right? So here we go. We're digging into this interaction between Eve and the serpent because it's fraught with controversy. How many women have said, thanks, Eve? (laughs) I think my wife has said that a couple times in a couple circumstances. <laughs> um, <laughs> the serpent begins asking Eve uh, a lot of questions, trying to sow doubt into what God said. Did God say you can't eat from any of the trees? Did God say you can't touch a tree? He's asking all these questions. And Eve eventually just explains to the serpent, which you gotta imagine, like she's talking to a serpent like it's normal. So she said, oh, well, you know, from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it or even touch it or you'll die. Um, let's rewind. In Genesis chapter 2, 16 through 17. Because a lot of us, we, we have a lot of blame for Eve, right? She took the fruit, she didn't understand. God said you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. He just said if you eat it, you're gonna die, Right? But Eve gets all of the blame for this. Did she forget what God said? Did she misinterpret? Was she still fresh out of Adam's rib cage and her brain systems were coming online and just hadn't got it all yet? How did she miss that kind of instruction? Well, she picked the fruit, she gave it to Adam and she said something that God never did. 
But if you read through chapter two, she wasn't there when the instruction was given. I mean, she was, she's in the body, the rib. So this is where he had her. You see, Eve had incomplete information about the details and nature of the Lord's restriction in the garden. All right, now hang on to this because I'm gonna make a point with this, but we're gonna kind of hop around to a couple of different passages to tie it all together at the end. So Eve, we're leaving her at the tree. She bit the fruit. We know she wasn't there. Adam miscommunicated all of it and she was deceived by the serpent, okay? Pause. Let's move on. Fast forward into the New Testament in Matthew 4. Now this is where you're gonna find the devil but no snakeskin this time, using the same tactic on the Son of God, Jesus himself. Let me remind you, he is the Word of God. He's using the same tactic that he used on Eve. Now remember, Jesus is the Son of God. He's fully man, fully God. He's the Word of God in flesh. So the same word spoken over the dark and desolate place that we just read about has been wrapped in human flesh and given the name Jesus. So no one knows the word of God better than him. Brian Simmons in the Passion Translation translates the word of God as the living expression of the word of God. So this is an interesting tactic, right? I don't think that like a lot of times we'll dig into this. It's really revealing if you look though. If the same technique that led Adam and Eve to surrender their authority to God I mean surrender their God-given authority and trust in the word of the enemy instead of the Lord's is being used on Jesus, this is an indicator that this is the enemy's top game. This is his top weapon, right? Word of God, irony. So in chapter four, verse one, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days, 40 nights, he fasted and he became hungry. And during that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, kind of look at what he's doing there. He is trying to, Jesus had just been affirmed by the Father. Right before he went into the wilderness, he was baptized by John and the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove on the shoulder of him in a big, loud, booming voice. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That's how I picture it, but... That, that just happened. He doesn't really need affirmation, but the enemy is coming at him and saying, prove who you are by performing a supernatural miracle. Jesus responds with scripture saying, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's from Deuteronomy 8.3. And then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem, highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, now remember this, he knows who Jesus is. He also knows the word of God stands forever as the only formidable weapon to which all others fall upon. So he is trying to make a legal case using the word of God. So he's using the scripture. He says, he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Do you guys realize Satan is quoting Psalm 91? Jesus responded, the scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now he took him to the highest peak after that and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give it to you if you kneel down and worship me. Now Jesus said, get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away. Pause for a second there. The devil had to flee from Jesus when he rightly handled the word. If you need the devil to flee from your life, 
you need to know the word. It's not real loud praying or huffing and puffing that does it. It is the word of God that he will respond to. So going back to Eve, okay? So we're jumping back and forth, the two temptation scenarios. We have Eve in the garden with the fruit, Jesus in the wilderness after he had fasted for 40 days. Now, Eve didn't get the accurate instructions. She hadn't built her decision regarding the tree of knowledge of good and evil on the actual word of God, but on a miscommunicated memory of his word. When confronted by the serpent, she, she paraphrased the word of God. You know, do paraphrases ever really hold up? I'm kidding. <laughs> I like the message, sorry. <laughs> um, the result of this led to her increased temptation to disobey God because she wanted to be like God when she already was. So what do we build our life upon here? We're talking about the foundations of the Jesus life and we're kind of swirling around in two different camps here. We're talking about the temptation that Eve faced and the temptation that Jesus faced. But what was the difference between the two? The difference was that Jesus knew the word of God and Eve did not. So when the devil came to Jesus to tempt him and try to derail his purpose, he was able to come back with the appropriate scripture that would silence the enemy because the only thing that will silence that voice in your life is the accurate handling of the word of God. And it has to be in your heart. But here we go. Let's dig deeper because I'm running out of time and I want to make sure that you get it. The enemy knows the word of God. He recited it. Why didn't it work? If you go to a parable with Jesus a couple chapters later, I'm skipping through all this. I'll do this next week. Hold on. All right. In Matthew 13, Jesus was talking about the, uh, the parable of the seed. And he taught them, it says in verse three, many things by using stories and parables to illustrate spiritual truths. So you all, you've heard the story before. He casts seeds. Some fell upon the beaten path. Birds came. Others fell on the ground. They had no topsoil. They quickly shot up. But the days grew hot and scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Then others fell among thorns so that when they sprouted, the thorns choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil. And his, his disciples approached him after this saying, why do you always speak to these people in hard to understand parables? And he said, you've been given the intimate experience of insight into the mysteries of God. Now, there's an amazing footnote about Mysterion, the word for mystery. Basically, what it means, what it kind of breaks down to is that Jesus can only be understood by the spirit, not only by the intellect of man. Jesus taught his disciples using cryptic language of parables to move them beyond their, their mind, their intellect, and engage the spirit, right? So you see that again when Jesus was with Nicodemus down the road. Here's the point I'm trying to make. It's not enough to have the scriptures memorized. It's not enough just to know them. The scriptures have to be unlocked by the spirit of God. It is the marrying of the spirit and the word. We can't separate or segregate. You can't have just an experience and a passionate worship, spirit-filled experience in the church without having a foundational biblical expression. They are married to each other. They are united together. So here's the deal. When these people came and, and and they were trying to understand what the Lord was saying. There's a lot of scriptures that confuse people about this because Jesus said, if they heard, then they would understand. But here's the point. 
The parables were meant not to engage the mind, but to bypass that, to get to the spirit. Because the only way that you can seek the kingdom of God is through a spiritual understanding that unlocks the word to the true meaning, right? So when we go into the word of God, it's not enough to just study. We have to be able to allow the spirit to unlock it for us. Hmm. And why is this so important? Because in Psalm 11.3, we're talking about the foundations of the Jesus life. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If we move away from the foundation of his word, then we begin to experience a natural cultural erosion of godly values. We see this, we see this everywhere, right? A redefinition of marriage and gender just for your information, we, we talked to uh, somebody that goes to the private school that Josie's part of, one of the parents. And they told us that the reason why they, they pulled their kids from one of the local school districts was because they were given an assignment in the fifth grade to write an essay describing a different gender they'd like to be. That's happening in the schools, right? Cultural erosion. And we... When I was at Starbucks, we used to have these uh, magazines that would come through. Um, and I remember reading one one day as I was passing and it just said, celebrate your abortion, shout it out, hashtag, like my story or something like that. So what I'm talking about cultural erosion is that, you know, these are all the casualties of a culture that is building on, on sand and not on a rock, Right? Jesus is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. It says in Isaiah 26 that he's the chief cornerstone. And I did some research on this. It's the, mo it's the most critical part to a foundational structure is that cornerstone. It sets the tone and the foundation for everything else. So if, if we are gonna live a Jesus life, the foundations of it has to be the word because otherwise we see what we see now, the wake of woke, the rise of woke Christianity, Right? emphasizing the love of God, but denying transformation. You can be whoever you wanna be. The Lord loves you. There's no pressure or focus to allow the spirit of God to transform your life and make you more like him. A Christianity that begins with an empty tomb and not a cross. A woke Christianity that makes God tame. Have you ever seen the Chronicles of Narnia? Sorry. Movie post. My, my favorite quote in that book is when she doesn't want Aslan, who's Jesus in the story, to leave. She says, I don't, I want him to stay. He says, well, he's not a tame lion, but he is good, right? You see, woke Christianity wants a faith that's more inclusive, but pure Christianity has always been inclusive. It's just centered around a different focus. It's that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess right? What could be more inclusive than that? That we all have one thing in common, no matter what our background, our culture, how we grew up, what we believe, every single one of us needs a savior. So we need to return to the word and a return to prayer. The foundation of the Jesus life begins in communication with Jesus through his word. So if the foundations are destroyed, if we adopt a Christianity that's not biblical and is more cultural, what will the righteous do? They'll conform to a culture no longer recognize 
that the light they think they have is actually darkness. So where, where is the call? I'm gonna close with this. If I can get um, maybe somebody up on the keys, I'm gonna close with this. In Revelation chapter six, we, there's letters written to the churches of that day. And one of them was written to Laodicea in six. And it says in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, but I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything. And you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Heavy, right? I advise you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. This is where we're at, right? The Lord is inviting us to buy gold refined by the fire. And how do you purchase that? What does that even mean? The gold that we purchase is our, our foundational face-to-face time with the Lord. It's the fragrance and incense of time spent with him. It's not something that you can, you can kind of hurry up or squeeze into your life. It's something that is purchased and paid for in the presence of Jesus. So how do we begin the foundation of the Jesus life and return to the word? We buy gold. It's the return of the true gospel, the one that expresses the full power of death and resurrection. The return of sanctification, of becoming holy because he is holy, not just saying that because I'm loved, there's no transformation that needs to happen in my life. And the return of spiritual disciplines every day in his word. How many in this room today believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, word of life? Amazing. You need to read it every day. (laughs) If we really believe that this word is transformational, if we really believe it's something that's going to open up heaven in our life, if we, if we believe all of the things that we profess to believe about it, man, we should be running to our Bibles every day, absorbing that revelation from the Lord. And I get it, you know, there, it's hard sometimes to get started into the word because it feels like we can't fully understand for some reason, but I wanna encourage you, you have a, a holy helper, a teacher on the inside of you who is going to reveal God's word to you, and it's the Holy Spirit. So today, if you could just stand up on your feet with me, I'm gonna pray for you. Hmm. Now hear my heart. When it comes to the word of God, I want nobody to feel I want nobody to feel condemned if you haven't been in the word of God. But I do want you to feel convicted. Conviction calls us higher. The Lord invite is inviting us to a place of returning to the foundations, returning to his word. Because I'll tell you what, everything else in the world that's changing right now, everything else that's shifting, you're going to need it. You need the word of God. When the enemy comes to tempt, when, when calamity comes in, into people's lives, when, when difficult times hit, it is the word of God that sustains us. 
from the valley to the mountaintop. His word is what gives us life. So if you'd like a greater hunger for the word of God in your life, I want you to raise up your hand and I want to pray for you. Jesus, Jesus, make us hungry for your word. Make us hungry for your word. Make us hungry, Jesus. Father, I just pray that you would stir up a hunger for your word in our heart, Lord. God, that when we wake up in the morning, we would feel that tug, feel that invitation that you want to talk with us in the cool of the day that as we worship and engage our spirit, as we spend time with you, you will open up the scriptures to us. You'll reveal Jesus in the text. You'll speak through, the, through that living, breathing word. And Lord, I just pray for each person here today, God, that you would cause their hunger for your word and presence to increase. So many of them are already desperate for you, but Lord, there is always more. Lord, stir up our hearts in a hunger for more of you. Stirring up in our hearts, Lord. Stirring up in our hearts, Lord. Stirring up in our hearts. Passion for your name. Passion for your name. Jesus, we just love you. If there's anyone here today that you want to rededicate your life to God in this moment, put your hand over your heart and pray after me. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to build my life on your word. Lord, let me live in your presence. I surrender everything else. You are the Lord of my life. Thank you. In Jesus' name. If that was you. We can get our I have decided slide up there. Please just hit that QR code. I want to invite our ministry teams to come forward. This is just the beginning. God is wanting to stir things up in your life. Things are about to move. Man, when the word of the Lord starts to come alive inside of you, it will ignite things that you thought were dead a long time ago. So let me bless you. Bethel, in the name of Jesus, I bless you to go out of this place filled with the presence and the knowledge of God, that you would experience his glory, that you would experience his, his intimate encounters, that he would speak to you in your bed and when you wake up at morning and lay down at night, that in your coming and your going, you would experience the presence and the glory of God, that you would know him in his sufferings, know him in his victories, that there would be an invitation to pick up the word, pick up the cross, follow him and see this world transformed for the glory of Jesus. In his mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.